This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. Hey! Good afternoon. Good morning, everybody. I almost want to say good afternoon. Still trying to get used to the shift from nine, from 11 to 1 to 9 to 11, especially on a day like today. Hopefully, you're having a good one. It's Under the Dome with CD, and we're just getting started. Of course, as always, we are coming to you live from the beautiful 103.7 First South Farm Credit Studios. Looking good. Let's try that again. Let's try that one more time. We're coming to you live for the first South Farm Credit Studios. Baby, we're looking good. There we go. Waking ourselves up a little bit after a long Friday night with LSU baseball. Going into a little after midnight when they were taking on those darn Gonzaga Bulldogs. And, of course, appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so. Be it through the FM dial. Power too sweet to be sour. I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the place. Oh, yeah. And of course, appreciate you listening. If you're listening worldwide from the free 1037 game mobile app, the dot com, and also, I'd have to highly recommend you check this way out as well. And that is your favorite smart speakers, Amazon Alexa, Google Home. And I'd recommend as well, if you haven't already, make sure you update your free mobile apps because I checked it out yesterday. Or, no, Thursday night. Thursday night. Check this out. Thursday night. It is so darn good. Very much improved on all fronts. And by the way, iPhone users, good news. If you want to know when a big name guest is coming on, let's say, you know, Jay Walker comes on RP3 and Company on Tuesdays. You just heard him on First Cup. Guess what? You'll get those notifications now. We had some, we had some technical, issue, technical issues, but we figured them out, and now we're here. And we got a lot to get to on today's show. Let's go ahead and get things started off right with a little bit of a different conversation because we'll get to some LSU baseball in a little bit. We'll talk about some Astros later on in the show. But in the meantime and in between time, I want to get down to what's causing all this for me on a Louisiana Saturday morning. Let's do that right now with the Saturday Sports Sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. There's always room for debates here in the realm of sports radio, but I feel like there's no doubt in my mind. There's one debate I'm glad is going to be finally put to rest in my mind. And what is that debate? The GOAT debate in basketball. That is something I'm, I've been tired of for a good while. Now, more than ever... I think it's time to put the debate 
of MJ or LeBron officially to rest. I think it died on Thursday night. Hell, I think it died a little bit before that, if we're being honest. LeBron James is the greatest of his era. There's no doubt about that. There's no debate when it comes to that. He's just not the GOAT. He could have the all-time scoring record by the time he retires. I feel like that's going to be inevitability. But at the end of the day, he's still not going to be the greatest of all time because he does not hold that crown. It Just in my heart of hearts. And the way he handled himself in Game 5 solidified that a lot in my mind. The way he handled himself, dipping out of the ball game with five minutes left in the contest, told me all I need to know about who that real GOAT is. I understand he didn't have hardly anybody besides himself. He was having to carry that damn team in Game 5, especially, especially in Game 6. It was an amazing performance of really awful all around. Just could not, cannot, and will not support that. I'm just looking forward to seeing how everything's going to change in terms of that debate about who the real GOAT is. There's no doubt in my mind, MJ has been and always will be the GOAT. You can never change my mind on that. This further stamped it home in my mind. You would never probably, you would never see MJ walk off the court in disgust in an opening round contest. You never saw him do it back in the day whenever he was with the Bulls. He's, he got bounced out three times early in his career in the first round. Two of those against the Larry Bird-led Celtics. But still, never lost a playoff game by 30 either, ever. And it was amazing. Like this, Yes, this is the first time ever LeBron's gotten bounced out in the first round. But this is a different level. MJ absolutely had put the team on his back early on in his career. Then he was able to get some key cogs in, you know, Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen, all, all these key players that helped him become more better, even better than what he was. There's no doubt in my mind that that's where it is. I think there's always going to be a debate about it, but it's already settled. If you want to say that LeBron would have advanced in the next round if Anthony Davis was healthy, fine, say it. But I'll counterpoint this. If ifs were fifths, we'd all be drunk. We'd probably have a pretty Merry Christmas when it comes right down to it because it's hypothetical. Anthony Davis wasn't healthy. And honestly, they shouldn't have put him out there on Thursday night because there was no point in doing that. Now you are nearing a situation where it's very similar to Kevin Durant of a few years ago after that Achilles injury where they put him out maybe a little bit too early or they, or they put about, tried to push him out there whenever he wasn't supposed to be, and he winds up being out for another year. I feel like Anthony Davis's days are numbered in Los Angeles because they're going to treat him like the scapegoat, deservedly so that he need, that he is. But at the same time, now you wonder who else is going to be ostracized in that locker room because LeBron James is a guy that wants to be considered. As I said, the GOAT. The greatest of all time. And it'll never be the GOAT in my mind. He's the greatest of now, but not of all time. And I think we'll never see another GOAT existing. Unless we see someone duplicate what MJ was doing back in the gap. 
And that would probably mean the game would have to change drastically in terms of the way contact is and the way the games play. Because you look at the way the NBA is versus what it was, I'd say, 15 years ago. The game is a lot more defense light. It's not necessarily, you see a whole lot, you see contact, but you see a lot of flopping and all that stuff. It definitely has taken a lot from soccer to where the offense where the offense takes over and the defense at some point, especially in all-star games, it's optional. It's a big reason why I think we've seen an increase in three-point sharpshooters, which is a great thing for the sport. But I just can't get behind it. Now, the great debate, in my opinion, got solidified last year after the last dance documentary dropped during the quarantine times. Now, I'm not like a good friend of mine, and I'm sure a good friend of yours, and watched it umpteen times. But it proves something to me that I already kind of knew about MJ, and that was the fact that Michael Jordan is the alpha of all alphas. No one could stop that guy in his prime, and he was just a great all-around player. He was able to take a team to those heights. Yes, you could say LeBron James did more with less, but I feel like that was just the fact that that was LeBron James when he was like 24, 25. Now you see LeBron James playing with a bunch of jabrones at his age after he's been in the league for damn near 20 years? Good luck, God bless, my friend. I don't think you're going to see him get back to the playoffs until everything changes. I think you're going to wind up having to see a lot of movements and a lot of maneuvering to figure out how you're going to make this league work. I got shouted down by some on social media when it comes right down to it about this hot take that I said right after game six wrap saying, oh, this is a horrible take to have. I'm like, I don't think so. I think this is the right take to have because at the end of the day, the debate's been dead for a while. I think this further, in, in my heart of hearts, it solidified the fact that MJ is greater than LeBron and nothing in the world will change that. I just, I just feel like he is. It's factual at this point. You know that LeBron couldn't match MJ back in the day. Couldn't match what he did. Yes, you know, MJ played for the Wizards toward, towards the end of his career, and he wouldn't have done what LeBron did. And MJ's team with the Wizards didn't even make the damn playoffs. Like, I was... I would have thought they at least made the first round or something like that, but no, like, I'm sure in the modern era, if the Wizards were in the modern era with Michael Jordan in his third run, they'd probably get into the playing game, but didn't even make the playoffs at all in the couple of years he was with the Washington Wizards, which is still a thing that boggles the mind, but it really shows that Father Time is undefeated. It's undisputed. That's just how I feel. If you got any opinion on to the contrary, guess what? The 103.7 game hotline, it is wide open. 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. We're also going to go ahead and get into LSU baseball. They lost last night, late game last night, in an absolute gym pitch by Alec Jacob. That's a name that's probably going to haunt many LSU fans, maybe a lot like Trevor Bauer and Garrett Cole did back in the UCLA Regional in the early 2010s. But I'm sure this one's going to sting a lot more because you know 
that now LSU is one game away from being eliminated off of the face of the earth when it comes to the NCAA tournament and Palmineer's career is in its 11th hour. It's like the rest of the way in this tournament until they make it to the Super Regional. We are officially in the 11th hour of Paul Maneri's career. The, the zero hour is coming up, and it's it's weird to think about. But we'll talk about that and so much more. It's Under the Dome with CD. We'll be back with that. Make sure you give us a call, 337-706-0111. And we're going to have Apollo Dez join the program at 1030. Going to talk about those Houston Astros. They came in with a massive win. More importantly, they've been looking good. Over the last week, it's, it's kind of funny how we usually have Dez on, and then all of a sudden the Astros the next night, or the night before, they tear it up. We'll talk about that and so much more over the course of the next two hours. Roll until 11 o'clock. Back after this on 103.7 The Game, 103.7 The Game.com. considered world famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. Lay off me, I'm starving. Now back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Come off the wall, cruise around second, the relay throw to third, not in time, he slides in under the tag, and a leadoff triple for Dylan Cruz to get it started here in the top of the fourth. Not too many positives to take away from last night's three to nothing loss to the Gonzaga Bulldogs. We mentioned I mentioned probably from Jump Street once I kind of got into some conversations, namely our guy Stephen Carl when I filled in for Bumper to Bumper Sports on Tuesday that this is a team you were going to be able to sleep on all that much, especially with the guy they were throwing out an ace that threw a no no earlier in the season. I was blown away how quickly this conversation has shifted from LSU possibly being in the winner's bracket taking on Oregon to LSU being on the verge of losing out. It's a do-or-die game for LSU tonight, or this afternoon. It's be a 2.30 pregame, 3 o'clock first pitch. You'll hear it right here on 103.7 the game as LSU tries to bounce back and stay alive like they're the Bee Gees right about now. But it's definitely going to be an uphill climb against Central Connecticut State. I am certain they'll wind up bouncing back and getting things done, but it's going to be even tougher when you look at the rest of your weekend. Potentially, you're going to have to play either Oregon. If you play Gonzaga again, I feel like you have a better chance because it's not their ace. But then you got Oregon. you got to play Oregon on that Sunday after playing a game earlier in the day and then you've got to rely on a number four guy. And it's using two pitchers in a day. And you've, I, I don't know who you're going to have. And I'm just, I'm looking forward to seeing how it's going to go for LSU to, later tonight when they take on the Central Connecticut State program. I believe they're the Wolverines, if I'm not mistaken. I, I could be completely wrong. Then again, Central Connecticut State, uh, I didn't know that existed until the NCAA tournament bracket got revealed, which I'll, I'll kind of talk about for a moment, is the fact that the bracket 
for one, it's revealed. It exists. Like when it was revealed, I'm like, okay, this is kind of how I expected to go. LSU gets down pretty early on. I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, here we go. Rustin, Rustin's going to be your 16 national seed. They'll get us. They'll host the regional, which is going to be great for the state of Louisiana. And you'll see it virtually all Louisiana. That's what I thought would have happened. But no, I see that get passed up. Then we fast forward a little bit more. Notre Dame. That pops up. I'm like, okay, Notre Dame. It's pulmonary full circle, that kind of thing. Give them one last ride in Notre Dame. That didn't happen. Then we fast forward one more go round, and it's right at like right before they get to the final bracket. They show Oregon. And then they show Central Connecticut State. And then LSU, the three seed. I think LSU being the three seed was the more damning thing in all this. Because it felt like they were a last four team in type situation. They were barely going to eke into the NCAA tournament. But somehow, some way, they were a three seed in the mind of the selection committee. And I'm trying to understand that. Because you... One three, you won your last like hand few series, but it was because of the fact you played some far inferior teams, namely Texas A and M. But you still didn't have a whole lot of juice to that team heading into the tournament. Then you lose the way that you did four one against the Georgia Bulldogs. This felt like it was going to be a very very tough kind of like road for them to get in. I knew they were probably going to get in, especially, and I think. The news about Balmanera retiring had a lot to do with it. I'm almost certain. As much as I would hate to say it, because I think that's kind of weird. And it's almost pandering if you're going to give somebody a spot because, oh, wait, it's their last run. Like, I'm almost certain every coach every year would have, there'd be at least one coach a year that would say, hey, this is my last run. I want to go out on top. And they'll give them the sympathy vote. Now, if it happens or not, it's anybody's guess, but the fact that it's LSU baseball getting that spot, I was confused. I was very confused with all that. That said, I did like some of the stuff that happened with LSU. I did like some of the stuff I saw last night. I feel like the pitching was on, I was on point at certain times. LSU just needed to not have some of those big hits pop up. You had a leadoff triple in the second that led to the two-run inning. That was an issue. Then you have the offense completely go dead and limp. They loaded the bases again last night. It was very much, I just said, I'm like, this is deja vu to where LSU had every chance to at least make it a more competitive ball game but didn't. They did not make it a complete and honest ball game last night. They continue to underwhelm, and it's more. It's not as much the hitting because they were able to get a handful of hits against a absolute monster in Alec Jacob. But it's the fact that they left runners on base. Now, mind you, the guys that left on base compared to Gonzaga, Gonzaga left twelve on. So either way, both these guys didn't necessarily do a whole lot with runners in scoring position. But LSU had five, went 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position and 0 for 6, 0 for 6 with runners on. So you had a combined, 
what the hell's going on? You only had like one other opportunity where you had guy, a guy on base and you couldn't get a hit. You couldn't get a hit. Runners on third, less than two outs, 0 for 2. You had a runner on third and you couldn't scratch a run across to save your life. Base loaded, same thing. You, had, you were 2 for 7. Like Everything that I'm looking at in these stats last night, and I know stats don't necessarily make for phenomenal radio, but it's stating a fact. LSU and their offense, it sucked a lot. They had nine strikeouts last night. Alec Jacob was on a roll. Nine innings of work, and he was just five over the minimum. Five over the minimum. Think about that. Think about how impressive that he was. He had to, He made LSU look silly. Landon Marceau, again, he did a solid enough job, I think, in my mind. He did solid. It wasn't great. It wasn't a quality start, obviously, but he he had a chance to do enough. You had to have the rest of the bullpen piece it together, and they did a phenomenal job keeping things under control and keeping it to where LSU could have bounced back. But LSU couldn't figure out what the deal was with Alec Jacob. From the fifth inning onward, they had zero hits. Zero. Like, seriously, after Trey Morgan singled to shortstop with two outs in the in the top of the fifth, they – so here's how it went. Morgan stole second, Cruz struck out swinging. Then you had Dugas struck, struck out swinging, Beloso flied out to center. Doty popped up to second. You had Safford, who somehow, someway, snuck his way onto the lineup. Palmineri is ever the tinkerer. He tinkered again, and it bit him in the ass. Safford struck out swinging. DiGiacomo flied out to center field. Thompson struck out looking in the seventh. Three up, three down. Three up, three down again in the eighth with Arnold striking out swinging. Trey Morgan, one of your best hitters, popping out to second. Dylan Cruz flied out to right field to end the eighth inning. Then you have Dugas striking out swinging. Beloso struck out swinging. Again, Dugas is probably one of your better hitters, too. K. Doty struck out swinging to, excuse me, he, Grounded out to third to end the ball game, and it was incredibly. It was the world's easiest put out from third to first. It was basically what you think about every single day when you're playing baseball. Is just easy roller to you, throw to first, and game over. The simplest play of all time. And I continue to be blown away by this. That LSU continues to have these underwhelming moments on the field. When is that going to stop? When is that pain that LSU fans are dealing with going to stop? They've got so much talent. Dylan Cruz, Gavin Dugas, even Giovanni, Giovanni DiGiacomo was hitting damn near three is damn near hitting three hundred after this game. Even in a game where he was 0 for 3, he was just coming back from injury. K. Doty, K. Beloso, those guys are still solid enough hitters. But at the end of the day, it's definitely more of a top heavy group. Your top two guys batting well over 300 are your, are your big dogs. But if we're being honest here, Will Safford had no business. I understand he's had experience playing in on turf fields. I get that. I get why Paul Maneri had the decision made in his mind, 
But it's still absolutely no excuse, no excuse at all, that you know the that the Tigers did what they did, lost three nothing. Their offense continues to underwhelm, and it makes you wonder how much of this is Paul Maneri's fault, how much of this is Eddie Smith's fault. Eddie Smith is going to be coaching Utah Valley University probably for a reason. The the band's getting broken up. And it needed to be broken up. LSU is a team that, like, they want to say, oh, we're, we're going to try and win one for the Gipper. They did not show me a damn thing that they're going to wind up winning a single game in this in this NCAA tournament outside of ten, this afternoon's game. I feel like if they lose this game, this team needs to be completely overhauled this offseason by whoever takes over as the head coach. And, of course, you can vote on our poll right now on 103.7 The Game's Twitter, at 103.7 The Game. The first cup poll question, next LSU baseball coach will be fill-in-the-blank, be it Kevin Sullivan, Kevin O'Sullivan, excuse me, Mike Bianco, Cliff Godwin, or other. Your choice for me, It's I am going to continue to bang the table. Mike Bianco will not be the head coach at LSU. I'll tell you why right now. There's a guy on the team by the name of Drew Bianco, and I feel like there's no doubt in my mind that LSU – is going is not going to have like I don't think Mike's going to want to go ahead and jump over to another SEC school, especially a program like LSU, and coach his son. Because if he wanted to coach his son, he would have had him on his program. He doesn't want to have that. You know, he doesn't want to coach his son. I don't think that's. I think that's out of the question. Kevin O'Sullivan is a definite possibility, but the guy that I think they're going to get, I think the guy that I want them to get, is Jim Schlossnagel out of TCU. He is a guy that I think, without a doubt in my mind, is a better candidate than Bianco. I feel like he, again, Bianco, boom, not a factor. I don't care. Kevin O'Sullivan checks off some things. I think the fact that Florida's on the verge of getting 0-2 barbecued in the NCAA tournament a couple years removed from them winning national titles. He's won national titles. He's got skins on the wall. That was something I mentioned last week when I was talking with Jim Gazzola. On like a Friday afternoon, the day that thing came out about the news about Paul Maneri, is that whoever the next head coach at LSU is going to be has to be proven, has to be more importantly, get skins on the wall. And Kevin O'Sullivan is one of those guys that's going to have skins on the wall. Jim Schlossnagel, he's going to have some skins on the wall too, don't get me wrong. He's going to have a hell of a lot of stuff going on. Mind you, no national titles. But this is a team that wanted making to the College World Series from 2014 to 2017 and were absolutely looking good for about a four-year run. Then, you know, the last couple years, they in 2018, they didn't make the tournament. The next year, they got to the regionals. And now they're 41 and 16, were top, tied for first in the Sun Belt, excuse me, the Big 12. Don't know why I thought... Sunbelt for some reason, but no, the Big 12. I think there's no doubt in my mind that this is a guy that I'd want to have take over this program because he's got experience. He's got a good bit of skin on the walls. He's got a lot of, he's got a reputation of winning, a reputation of getting to Omaha pretty darn consistently. All throughout his years at TCU, he's looked good. I think there's no doubt in my mind. I would love to see him be part of this program. He played at Tulane. He's an in-state guy. I want to see him succeed. 
I want to see him be part of this program. He was an associate head coach back in the early 2000s with Tulane as they made a trip to the College World Series back in 01. So he knows what it takes to get to Omaha. That's the guy you need. Yes, you could say Kevin O'Sullivan is probably a much more qualified guy. But I, I, I still feel like a lot like how the SEC just started to allow interconference transfers to do their thing. And, you know, case in point, TJ Finley officially going to be able to play with the Auburn Tigers. I was going to try and get a guy on to talk Auburn, but didn't necessarily work out. Is what it is. That said, there's a lot of questions surrounding the state of LSU baseball. And the biggest thing for me is what happens next? Who is the next guy to be going? And I feel like I got to agree with something Jordy said. Maybe Alan Dunn could be gone as well. But obviously, that's going to be up to the discretion of whoever is the next guy to take over at LSU. Because once a new guy takes over, he's going to want to play with his own ingredients when it comes right down to it. He wants to play with his own tools. Obviously, in some cases, some guys are much more valuable and they'll keep them on, especially in baseball. I mean, look at the Cajuns. You had Matt Dex take over. You still have some similar faces in the coaching staff. Obviously, you've added some in B.J. Ryan. No doubt in my mind, that was a great get for the Cajuns to be able to have a former MLB pitcher help this coaching staff. But I'm almost certain you'll be seeing a lot of changes involving the LSU Tigers this offseason, and it's not just with... LSU baseball's head honcho. I mean, you already have Eddie Smith gone. I think maybe a lot of that was the fact that you have, you know, Scott Woodward being the invisible hand and helping get these guys other jobs. That way they can push them out and push a new regime in the house. Because at the end of the day, what Scott Woodward wants is to have a successful franchise and a successful team to work with. I think that's what he's going to be getting pretty soon at LSU. All right, it's Under the Dome with CD. If you got some thoughts on LSU baseball or whatever, 337-706-0111, We'll come back. I talked a lot about last week with the Brooks Kepka Brooks Kepka Bryce of the Shambo feud. Well, it's continued yesterday, and one of them wasn't even on the golf course. We'll talk about that next right here on 1037 the game and 1037thegame.com. trying times. The world famous CD follows the simple words of Matthew McConaughey. You just gotta keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. So let's kick back and enjoy Under the Dome on 1037 The Game. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. Are these times really that trying still? Again, I I don't know how everybody else is L-I-V-I-N, but I think everything as of late has been all right, all right, all right. Welcome back, everyone, on the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game at 1037thegame.com. I think everything's been pretty darn well with everything in the world of golf. It's in good hands, obviously, Phil Mickelson, PJ champion. But I think it's also interesting because we got the feud that continues to just give us endless amounts of fodder is 
the feud between Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau. I think the question is, who's living in whose head rent-free when it comes right down to it? Is Bryson DeChambeau living free in Brooks' head, or is Brooksy, we'll talk about that in a second, living rent-free in Bryson's head? So Brooks didn't take part in the Memorial Tournament yet over the weekend. He's not taking part of it, so he wasn't there. But DeChambeau was. He was playing there on Friday, and it went to the next... In that second round matchup, every time Brooks, excuse me, Bryson DeChambeau was about to take the tee and really get a swing going, they were heckling him, calling him Brooksy every time. And fans were reportedly removed from the Memorial Tournament after they called him Brooksy. Multiple times this happened, and it continues to be a bigger deal at the Weirfield Village in Dublin, Ohio. Everyone thought Dublin, Ohio was a city, let alone a part of a headline-grabbing conversation involving this. And DeChambeau said after the game, after his round, excuse me, he carded an even par, saying, I don't care what they say. Like, if they say that, it's not a big deal to me. But at the same time, he did tell the fans to not say it, to stop saying it, and they were going to go get ejected. I saw Akron, I think Akron Jackson on Twitter was the one who kind of posted this stuff is the fact that he has security to escort any spectators who said Brooksy. And this all kind of comes back to 2019 because of the fact that they just don't, they straight up don't like each other because they're so different. Because Kepka just gets so frustrated with the fact that, you know, DeShambo or DeShambag, I'm going to call him, he took so much time. Between 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 strokes, like he took so much time making sure everything was just right. So at the end of the day, these two just straight up don't like each other. The PGA and the and the match missed out on a golden opportunity to put these two together because you know the competition would be fierce, would be cutthroat, and be so much more entertaining than anything that I've seen as of late. It's like, come on now, how can we not have this become a thing? We need to see this rivalry flourish and strike while the iron's hot. The PGA missed out on a golden opportunity last week. We talked about that more with Cam Rogers. You can check that out right now on 1037thegame.com, but obviously just keep it locked right here. Dear, what Brooks Kepka said in response to it, because again, Brooks, a Blake of the Year nominee, no doubt in my mind, he wasn't even there. He was not a part of the tournament. Decided to take a break. And DeShambo had a response. Kepka had a response for DeChambeau about kicking people off the golf course, and it was absolutely perfect. What's up, guys? It's Brooksy. Just wanted to say, hey, thank you guys for the support. I heard a bunch of you were shouting my name at the golf tournament today. I know I'm not playing, but thank you guys for showing support. And if your time was, I don't know, say cut short at the golf tournament today, uh, DM Michelob Ultra, and we're going to be giving out 50 cases of beer to the first 50 people um, in case their time was cut short, had any trouble at the tournament, but just as a thank you for showing support. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. I just love the fact they opened that up the way that it did. Hey, guys, it's Brooksy. What's up, guys? It's Brooksy. What's up, guys? It's Brooksy. What's up, guys? It's Brooksy. He just started off his thing with immediately the right amount of shade, just simply saying, using the using the word, that 
set Bryson DeChambeau off beyond belief by saying, what's up, guys? It's Brooksy. What's up, guys? It's Brooksy. <laughs> it's amazing. And I want to see, like, I would love, to be honest with you, I would love if every single time Bryson DeChambeau is having to be out on the field, excuse me, on the green or whatever, as he's about to tee off, somebody just say it every single time. Like, right after he gets that swing off, just say it. What's up, guys? It's Brooksy. Just say Brooksy. Make that the new Baba Booey. Because I'm tired of the Baba Booey that we hear all the time. It's gotten tiresome. We got the U.S. Open coming up. I would absolutely love national television right after the swing. Instead of all the stupid things they say, every time Bryson DeChambeau tees off, you go and say, Brooksy. What's up, guys? It's Brooksy. We need that in our lives. Brooks, Kepka, and Bryson DeChambeau. This feud, I didn't think I was going to talk about it again today. But lo and behold, we I saw this last night, and I could not stop laughing at the fact, like, the amount of, like, savagery to go ahead and say, you know, if, you're, if your day got cut short because of DeChambeau getting upset because he kept hearing the word Brooksy. What's up, guys? It's Brooksy. He kept hearing that word all, game, all, all day long, all day long. And the next thing you know, we see Brooksy respond on Twitter with a phenomenal video that was largely just an ad for, you know, everybody's favorite, or maybe it's your favorite. I don't drink personally, so I don't know the difference between the two of Michelob Ultra or Bud Light, Budweiser, whatever. I don't drink, so personally, it doesn't matter to me all that much. But I love some of the things that Brooksy is doing with this whole feud, and hopefully we get to see more of it. Especially once they're on, back on tour together. Because Brooksy took a little bit of a break. What's up, guys? It's Brooksy. And decided to make that Twitter video. And you can just hear some of the, like, the natural sound in that video, too, which is really good. What's up, guys? It's Brooksy. Sounds like maybe maybe some cicadas or something in the background. Just so cool. But that's something that was like blew my mind. The fact that it's continuing to be a conversation. I was like, what the heck is going on? Why are we continuing to have this, like, rivalry continue? And I'm like, you know what? This kind of rules. Because why not have that kind of stuff pop up? That's what makes sports great. And then I kind of came to the realization, yeah, this is exactly what the sport needs. This is the future of the PGA having these rivalries actually be fierce versus, oh, hey, the honor-friendly competition type thing. No. Like, Tiger and Phil, it's a more, I res- I hate you, but also I respect you. This is, I hate you, and I want to beat you in every single thing. I, I guarantee you, if you saw Bryson DeChambeau and Brooksy playing tiddlywinks, they'd want to beat each other's brains out and crush their face in as the guy Kevin Foote likes to say. No doubt in my mind. Now, what happens next? That's going to be the fun part. Because, again, I believe the U.S. Open is going to be like two weeks from now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the U.S. Open is going to be on Father's Day weekend, so two weeks from now. 
if I don't hear Brooksy, I'm going to be really upset with a lot of golf purists. We'll take a quick timeout. When we come back, we, we're going to get into some stuff that happened in the college, in terms of the NCAA baseball tournament, as well as the Women's College World Series. Because I'm not going to lie, I enjoyed a lot of that last night. Namely, a no-no, it seemed to be a perfect game that happened last night, as well as a true underdog story. Some great stuff coming up next right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. to the pros and everywhere in between. I gave it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Let's get back under the dome with the world-famous CD on Acadiana's Sports Station. 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. Coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. About to wrap up hour number one. But I want to get to something real quick. I got to say... There's about two or three takeaways. I'll get to here. Maybe I'll bring it up, bring up some other ones a little bit later. I'll, you know, I'll go ahead and get to my thoughts on the women's college world series last night first before I get into the NCAA regional because I loved what I saw last night in softball. And I'm not like the I'm not one of these like super softball fans. But when it comes to the tournament, I am absolutely just tuning in and watching every last second of it. In case in point, what I saw on Thursday was pretty darn good with Georgia and Oklahoma State being a 3-2 ball game. James Madison, the true underdog story. They not only beat the top seed Oklahoma, they beat Oklahoma State yesterday 2-1, to one, a highly competitive ball game. I was really upset because I had to like flip it back over to LSU baseball not long after that game wrapped up because, like, this is going to be a lot of fun. And then you get to Alabama-UCLA late last night. 6 nothing win for the Tide. And I'm not going to pump roll Tide, but, hey, you know, Bailey Hemphill looked good. Then you also had, you know, one of the really cool things that happened with Alabama-UCLA. A perfect game was thrown. You never see that kind of stuff these days. Bailey Hemphill had a good ball game. But it's all about Montana Fouts. 14 out of the 21 batters she faced, she struck out. Think about that statement right there. 14 of 21. That's two-thirds of the batters you faced, you struck out. Montana Fouts is an absolute bleeping monster. And if you're not watching the... NCAA tournament right now with women's the women's college world series you're missing out on something really cool and I can't wait to see potentially a semi excuse me I'd say a final possibly between James Madison and and Alabama there's no doubt in my mind that's gonna be something that could happen and obviously later today you got four games on tap Oklahoma Georgia then you have Arizona Florida State and they'll be to and it'll be UCLA taking on, I believe, the winner of Oklahoma and Georgia. 
and then Oklahoma State taking on the winner of UC, excuse me, Florida State in Arizona, and then you'll have Alabama will play again on Sunday. They'll be taking on whoever comes out of those two matchups alive, and that'll be the best of three starting on Monday for the finals, which is going to be a lot of fun no matter who it is. Honestly, I hope that we see James Madison, Alabama. That way we get to just see this true underdog story come to life. All right, we're going to talk about some more stuff involving the NCAA tournament because i got some big takes, some big overarching takes from night one. And boy, it was a lot of fun. We'll talk about that next right here on 103.7 The Game. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 103.7 The Game studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 103.7 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 103.7 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. Hey, good morning, everybody. On a Saturday, hopefully you're having a good one so far. It's Under the Dome with CD Hour, two of two underway. And yes, in case you didn't know, we're still coming to you live from the beautiful, palatial First South Farm Credit Studios. Here, this, worldwide. And appreciate you listening in, however you're doing, so be it through the FM dial. He has the tower of power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal to man. And, of course, you can listen to us on the .com, the free mobile app, which we just updated recently. By the way, if you haven't already, go check it out. Make sure your app's updated because it is pretty darn cool. I've enjoyed I, I've had the apps from Jump since I started working here over the course of like seven years. This may be the best version of the app yet. So go to the brand new 1037 The Game mobile app today. And as well as your favorite smart speakers. I'm telling you, we got so many ways to listen to us now more than ever. There's no reason. And of course, if you miss anything, like I'm talking a single episode of Under the Dome with CD, RP3 and Company. You know, we got every single show up archived right now on him. I'm talking every single show. It's up on demand right now. And I got to say, we again, I'm just blown away by how much we actually have archived sometimes. I think we, we have shows that don't even really exist anymore. You can probably dig around and find. I'm talking, we can find, you know, again, RP3 company. We got that going on. We got art. We got, the Jordy Holtberg show footnotes with Kevin foot. We got first cup. We just, we, I just put up the new episode from today. I just literally uploaded that moments ago and we're putting that up on the free mobile app. So trust me, you've got all kinds of ways to listen to us. You got all kinds of ways to consume us. So make sure you do that. You take your time. And, and you know, I bring up the fact that it's not just our regular shows. For instance, our podcasts are up right now 
on 1037thegame.com. For instance, the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast hosted by yours truly. That's up right now. The latest episode, episode 61. Can't believe we're at 60. No, excuse me, 60 episodes. This week's is be episode 61, eight away from the series finale. Just kidding. We're not going to end that on 69 episodes. Maybe it'll be the end of season one, and then season two we kind of. But you'll you'll know when the when the podcast ends. Maybe I won't be here anymore. That'll be that'll be the conversation that changes. But when it comes right down to it, the conversation we're going to shift it over more towards what happened last night on the baseball diamond with the NCAA tournament. Be more of a baseball kind of sort of centric hour. We're going to have Apollo Des join the program in about 25 minutes. But I want to talk about the NCAA tournament night one because no doubt some really good ball games happened last night. Namely, I think the one that stands out the most to me is Ole Miss. And I mentioned them as probably having a very tough regional. They're going to be playing Florida State later today. But I completely forget about the fact that the legend that is Mike Elko continues to resonate. He is possibly becoming like my favorite player in college baseball right now because of the story. And for those who don't quite know the story about Mike Elko and his injury that he suffered, like, excuse me, not Mike Elko, that's a coach for Texas A&M. We're going to talk about that. But we're talking about Ole Miss Tim Elko. I don't know why I was thinking, but this guy, he had an injured knee. And basically, like, he's, it's very much, you know, iconic type stuff that we're seeing from, I, I really just am blown away by this. It's like, obviously, they had to deal with Gunnar Hogland. He's done for the year with Tommy John. But you had this guy, Tim Elko, torn ACL against North Alabama on April 5th. And this felt like, you know, a situation where he was just going to be done. And the whole thing was just going to be, oh, he's, his season's done, it's over. Somehow, some way, Drew Bianco, not, not, Mike Bianco, excuse me, his son plays for LSU. That's the bigger reason why he won't be the head coach at LSU, at least in my mind. But after having some conversations with orthopedic surgeons, the feedback they received said, hey, let's go ahead and, you know, we could very well put him in a DH spot. He could possibly return on an offense-only basis. It was really all up to Elko. No one's body obviously ever really responds the same to different things. And it was amazing because this guy did not miss a beat against Texas A&M when he came back. Three-run home run. Then he was penciled in as everyday designated hitter. He hit four home runs since then, two in a loss to Vanderbilt in the SEC tournament. Then they reached the semifinals for the third straight postseason. He helped them get to that spot. And then Friday, he does it again. He did it again with another home run off of Dylan Dot, a first pitch one that he just sent on an absolute rope into the field. And then you had the beer shower, which, by the way, I mentioned this on Twitter. And I, I think I got a lot of interesting takes on this. But I want your opinion, 337 Is this the most, I, I, visually, 
the beer shower thing looks really cool. Like, it looks awesome whenever you see it on TV. And I put a GIF up of it on Twitter. And I thought, okay, this is a really cool thing that happened. It's interesting. It's different. But it's also simultaneously the, like, most disgusting thing at the same time, right? Like, you have all those beers flying up in the air. It's not like they just stay up there. Like, gravity is going to bring those things, bring those particles of beer down. And let's say hypothetically you have a game where it's two or three home runs. You're going to be smelling and feeling probably pretty sticky by the end of the game, right? Like it's and the fact you're going to be you're in Oxford, Mississippi during like early June when things are probably at their hottest. Like right when I saw that, I was like, okay, this is and again. It looks aesthetically great when they show it on TV. But it's a bad, and you know, again, I was talking about the Elko home run. That was a grand salami he hit. Nothing short of spectacular from him. And I was like, hell yeah. And we also, I mentioned this, Kirk Gibson-esque, the amount of home runs he's hitting and the amount of consistency he has. No doubt in my mind. I want to see this guy continue to perform at a very high level. And I'm hoping there is an SEC story about him. And he can they can have a really good run. And I feel like they're going to because Tim Elko is going to lead this team, going to get this team to where they need to be almost solely off of him because he is on a tear right now. And it's amazing. Think the fact that the guy is bouncing back from that kind of injury. It's I mentioned Kirk Gibson. That is exactly the first name I thought of. I was like, okay, this is exactly like the walk-off home run in game one after he had his injury. Kind of similar to Warren Morris, too, when you think about it. Give me a... SEC story, 30 for 30, whatever. Give it to me right now. Outside of that, there wasn't a whole lot in terms of just general observations that I had because I was more focused on, obviously, the Oregon Regional, seeing how that thing was going to go. Obviously, LSU came up well short. But one thing I was blown away by is the fact that Florida, and I brought it up earlier, Kevin O'Sullivan, he's a strong candidate to be the next head coach at LSU. And it's justifiable. No doubt in my mind, I would love to have somebody like that lead the way. That said, I want to see where this goes. But Florida being one loss away from being eliminated as the 11 seed, excuse me, 15 seed, mind-boggling. But this was a really fun just bracket in general because you have Florida losing to South Florida 5-3. to three. Then you have South Alabama kept it very close. one nothing loss to Miami. I was like, okay, this is like this is what I want. This is going to be a very fun series to kind of keep tabs on. Obviously, outside of the LSU series, that's the one everybody's going to be interested in. And I mentioned Starkville on Tuesday when it filled in for Bumper to Bumper Sports is that there's no doubt in my mind that that was going to be one of the easiest roads to Omaha for anybody, bar none. And it's coming out exactly like I thought. Campbell and Sanford going to fight off, trying to fight off elimination today. Mississippi State's taking on VCU. I think Mississippi State's going to beat whoever comes out on top out of the losers bracket. Just the way I think. 
lot of tech, I gotta give them credit. And it's just cool in and of itself the fact that they are able to have a game inside Love Field. And it's great. Then we see them absolutely tear the cover off the ball. I believe their player I can't, name I can't think of off top, but number nine for the La Tech Bulldogs. He had nine RBIs last night. 18-2 to two win for the Bulldogs. Overrider. It's what you expect them to do, right? It's what you expect them to do. And I think La Tech has a very good chance of advancing now to the regional. To the Supers, I should say, and make the trip up to Arkansas. Good luck, God bless with that. It's a shorter trip than, you know, heading over to Siberia, like LSU, or going from traveling to Oregon and traveling all the way to Knoxville. If you somehow, some way, be able to, like, if I, I will gladly eat a bunch of crow if LSU pulls this off, but it feels like it is an unenviable task of beating, of getting to the NCAA. Super Regionals after the way you performed. Because I'm almost certain that Oregon's got some solid aces ready to go. If you have to play Gonzaga again in the final, you got to play Central Connecticut State, and there's no guarantees there either, especially the way LSU's offense has been the last couple of games. And then I saw this, and I was like, what the hell is going on here? And this further proves why I think the left coast is completely, like, just jacked up when it comes right down to it. Apparently, PK Park, which is the home of the Oregon Ducks in their baseball program, has a alcohol monitor. Don't get me wrong. Like, over-drinking, that's a bad thing. I get why they're doing it, but it's so backwards compared to, like, oh, wait. You know, because you're saying alcohol monitor, make sure these people aren't consuming too much alcohol. Here's the thing. Are those people out there in the parking lot watching before the game and monitoring the amount of alcohol they're consuming then? Or is it more during the game? Because if that's the case, then I'm almost certain what they're doing is a very moot point. Because if we're being honest... Tailgate-wise, especially SEC programs, they're getting a good bit of that going before the game even starts. I'm sure that's, that continues into the game. You're buying a couple beers. I'm sure of it. But the fact you have an alcohol monitor, and it, I, seriously, it, it's on the, like the person's jacket saying, Wes, alcohol monitor. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I was like, what is going on here? This is very weird. And meanwhile, again, LSU just couldn't get any offense going last night. Hopefully they can get it going, because if they don't, it's going to be an uphill climb for this program. It's going to be an absolute just mess to deal with going forward. If you're LSU... And then you got to figure out how things are going to go after this week. Who boy, I just, I don't know. I just don't know how the future is going to turn out for LSU in this tournament. I don't think they'll make it past the regional. But going 0-2 barbecue 
is not a great look. In fact, I believe, and I'm going to go ahead and pull this up because I saw this last night from Glenn Gilbo on Twitter. He brought he dropped this stat. First NCAA regional opener loss since 1985. That was like the first couple years of skip. And I was like, what? That's actually a thing. Where LSU hadn't lost an NCAA regional opener since 1985. The year when, you know, Debbie was preoccupied. The year that she was preoccupied with as she hit that wall. And I immediately am thinking about Bowling for Soup 1985. And on that note, I'm going to take a break before I start singing the rest of the song. Maybe we'll play that when we come back. I don't know. If I'm in a good mood, I will. But we're going to take a quick time out under the Dome with CD. We come back. We're going to talk about some of the other stuff going on at Tiger Town because it's some wild times over the last 72 hours. If you got some, if you got time, call us up 337 Back after this. don't lie because when you listen to under the dome with cd your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent and they spell disaster for you as sacrifice now let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on acadiana's sports station 1037 the game welcome back to under the dome with cd right here on 1037 the game and 1037 the game.com but i mentioned earlier like it's been wild what's going on at LSU right now, and it all kind of just starts off over the course of the last like 72 hours. And it all started with the news that popped up. I believe this was like Thursday. No, no, no. Wednesday night. It was Wednesday. All of a sudden, you have the news that James Craig, offensive line coach, is stepping down, is parting ways with LSU. I don't know what happened there. Reading between the tea leaves, there had to have been some like strong disagreement between the two where one decided, you know what? I don't want to deal with this anymore. Bleep it. I'm out. No doubt in my mind, something like that played a role in things changing. It's just how like some people, uh, at one point you have things turn south somehow, some way I was there behind the scenes. Just my general observation that that's why James Craig parted ways. Either that, or it's very similar, and I'm not, not like saying this based off of facts, but I'm basing it off of pure deduction because you look at how LSU handled the firing, quote unquote. I mean, they told, they gave, they helped Nikki Fargus find her next spot. They at least somewhat have helped Eddie Smith, the hitting coach for the Tigers find another spot because they are probably going to let him go. They haven't done anything for Alan with Alan Dunn, so maybe his job's secured? I would I would think so. I'm sure that's something that they're at least considering because I think Alan Dunn, despite some of the guff that he gets from a lot of LSU fans, has done a respectable job for the Tigers. He's helped those guys get better. Now, yes, he had rash of injuries, but I feel like you can't put all the sins, if you will, 
on, you know, the stuff that he does. Because I feel like to a certain extent, it's also the fact that maybe players in high school, are their arms are burnt out a lot more versus probably like previous years. Because once they get to a certain age, it's like, oh, wait, like the wheels are off. Let's go ahead and let you throw umpteen amount of pitches rather than like have a specific pitch count in mind. I'm not saying that's every head coach out there coaching high school baseball, but I feel like it's a good chunk. And I think maybe it's also the fact that maybe it's stuff that happens when they're younger because because kids could very well be, you know, burning out their arms early. And that's why whenever they get to LSU, because they're so highly touted, they do all those summer leagues, they do all that stuff. Fall. I mean, basically nowadays, baseball. If we're being honest, it's become a year-round sport for some kids, especially if you're in middle school or high school. Because you've got the regular season, you've got summer leagues, you get the select league stuff, you've got fall ball, then you get some winter league stuff going on. Again, with those select teams, there needs to be a bit. I, I saw this the other day, and I'm sure you've seen it as well on Facebook, people talking about the entire situation with LSU, with, uh, excuse me, LSU, but kids like 17 getting Tommy John's just to quote-unquote get it out of the way. It's not, that's not the best look. And just burning out your arm. I mean, we're seeing guys have a rash of injuries, and we're seeing them a lot on the pro level too, so... I can't necessarily say, hey, this is all so-and-so's fault. I disagree with that vehemently. I've been hearing a lot of people complain about that. That's not where I'm at at all when it comes to the state of the union with LSU baseball. Eddie Smith, I feel like he's going to be gone. Eddie Smith is gone. Alan Dunn, I have a very good feeling he'll be sticking around because he's not being told to find another job, a lot like maybe, you know, low-key, in my mind, that James Craig was. And I think James Craig, and I mentioned it yesterday during the two-minute drill, is the fact that that offensive line two years ago won the Joe Moore Award, which is awards to the best offensive line in the country. I don't think that was the best offensive line in the country. It was aided a lot by the ability that somebody like Joe Burrow had. Joe Burrow was such a great guy in dual threat under pressure situations. That offensive line helped kept keep him upright, but at the same time his legs also saved him some opportunities to where he'd be flat on his back. We've seen we've seen that a lot with Cincinnati. We can say, oh hey, you know, he had a good offensive line at LSU. He did, but at the same time, did he really? Because he helped himself. Because you look at a lot of those games where he was under pressure, he just made the most of it. The offensive line did a good job run blocking, but in terms of pass blocking, maybe not so much. It was the fact that Joe Burrow, the game slowed down for him enough to where he could do whatever he wants. That's a big reason why I keep saying, and I keep saying it till I'm blue in the face, because I want y'all to start buying into this. That in 2021, Joe Burrow was going to become a much more improved all-around guy. He's going to become the star that LSU that LSU saw 
and the rest of the world saw that helped him win a national championship. Will this team win a Super Bowl in the next two or three years? I don't know. But I feel like there's every chance that that's why that's why LSU football got a lot of love in 2019. Almost solely because of Joe Burrow. And a really good defense that had flaws. They definitely had flaws. I can go back to the Vanderbilt game they had in 2019. They had a lot of like they allowed a lot of big chunk plays. They allowed a lot of big chunk plays against Alabama. So for me, that was where the conversation begins and ends with LSU in terms of their new offense and their former offensive line coach, James Crick. I think now you've got Brad Davis, former Arkansas Razorbacks offensive line coach and former Mizzou offensive line coach. Guy that has a lot of experience. I think he's going to be great. Now, the conversation is going to shift towards who moves where. Like, Where does this go from here? Do we continue to shake things up? Because you look at it. LSU, if I'm not mistaken, only has like three of the head coaches left on the roster right now. Think about that statement. Of all the head coaches that you have left, all, excuse me, the assistants on the field, three are still around. Tres. Think about that statement. It's not a good look for LSU. Hopefully things can change a little bit further down the road, but it's not a good look for the Tigers. Heading into probably one of the most crucial seasons of all time. Almost simply because of the fact that LSU has to get to a certain number. I could be completely off base here and say eight and four is the number. You might think nine and three, ten and two. But I feel like eight and four is the absolute floor for LSU. If they fall below that mark, Ed Ozron is G double O double N double E gone. No doubt in my mind. And I'll keep saying that all throughout the season. If eight and four is the floor, I should say eight and four is the floor. Anything less, oh, is gone. No cap in my mind. We're going to take a quick timeout. Apollo Dez joins the program once again. We're going to talk some Houston Astros. Hell of a game last night by the Strohs. Domination, to say the least. We'll be back after this on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Sports Talk Radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but under the dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guns to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037, the game. First pitch. And Maldonado hits it in the air, pretty deep to left, racing back Guriel at the wall, looking up. See you later! A grand slam for Martin Maldonado, and the Astros lead it 7 to nothing. First grand slam by an Astro this season, and it's Maldonado's fourth home run of the year. Maldonado could very well be running a deli right about now, hitting those grand salami last night, helping the Astros to a massive win and we're going to talk about that and so much more with the next guest aboard the 103.7 The Game Hotline. 
It's our guy, Apollo Des, part of Apollo Houston. Apollo, what's going on, brother? I'm good, bro. How are you on this fine Saturday morning? It's a fantastic Saturday morning. I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Just a little tired after being up all night watching the LSU Tigers underwhelm in a 3 nothing shutout. But I'm doing pretty darn good because the fact the Astros crushed the faces in of the Toronto slash Buffalo Blue Jays, man. And first of all, that's it's so weird the fact they're still playing in Buffalo. They have to be the team without a city at this moment. Yeah, it's it's real weird. You got to think that uh, a lot of those guys want to be back in Toronto just because they have a home there and they spend half you know half the season there. But now you're kind of traveling all over the world and you're in Buffalo. You're you started the season in Florida. Now you're back up there, and so. Um, uh, amazingly, you know, they've been winning despite all that. And, uh, you know, the, the Buffalo Blue Jays actually have a pretty pretty good team. Oh, no, they absolutely do. I think it's the fact they got just so much youth behind it. Before we get to this series and what's to, what's to come for the Astros, I know you've been out at Men and Maid Park since they've allowed things to be 100% capacity. How much has that kind of changed the overall vibe? Because it feels like the Astros, to a certain extent, especially at home during this homestand, they were feeding off of that thing like crazy because you look at what they did after the Dodgers and Padres series. They were they managed to kind of come alive, taking three out of four against the Red Sox. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think the the fans being back at 100 percent capacity has uh, has boasted the boys a little bit. Um, they're feeding off it, like you said. Uh, it, honestly, it felt like a, a dang playoff atmosphere and a World Series atmosphere. Obviously, when you have the Dodgers coming to town and then San Diego and then Boston, you know, there's going to be good crowds. But um, it, it was electric. It, it really was. And um, we we probably should have, should have had a better home stand, but I'll take it against those three teams. But just being back in the stands at 100% capacity um, was a really cool um, thing. You know, we're, we're starting to get back to the new, new, old, normal, whatever it is. And, yeah. uh It was great. And um it was it was great to see Altuve and Correa and Braggs and all the guys just, just kind of soak it all in. You know, we got we got there kind of early to to see BP and stuff like that, and you can just you get to see a little a little fresh step in, in all the guys. And you were talking about the fact you had this really tough stretch over the last week where you have the Dodgers in a two game series, and you have a day off, and you take on the San Diego Padres, who feature probably one of the most interesting players in the league right now and Fernando Tatis Jr. and he hit a big old bomb to help give them a big win last weekend and then like they were able to, like the thing is with the Astros they kept their head above water to, when it comes right down to it because now they're just only a game back of the AOS I know it's June but being able to keep your head above water and keep that gap between you and your closest contender like relatively close is huge right Oh, for sure. Uh, I said it on my podcast, Beyond the Diamond. Uh, if if we just help serve for this next month, because, you know, we had Toronto, we had Boston, we have the Sox, um, with the White Sox coming up as well. But I said, if you just hold serve during all this and you hope, you know, o- Oakland doesn't do one of those, you know, 15-game 15, 15 win streak type things, you're still going to be in the hunt, you know, coming into July into the dog days of summer. And that's all you want. And this is this is how the schedule just lined up right now. And I think the the big thing was this homestand. It was a winning homestand for one, but two, um, the Astros beat themselves. They played the arguably the three best teams in the league right now, 
and um, they should have had a better homestand. Uh, obviously, Kershaw did Kershaw things, and he, he was electric. Uh, they got to Tyler Bauer. Um, then they just let Tatis beat them, and, and honestly, it was a situation where we beat ourselves, and then we took care of, took care of business versus Boston. So um, holding serve and, and keeping your head above water is, is the correct the correct thing, and um, now you can, you can maybe not let up a bit because obviously the Blue Jays – and the Red Sox and the White Sox coming up are all pretty daunting teams, but you can at least take a little breather and say, hey, all right, we did we did what we had to do there. Let's do what we have to do now on the road. All right, let's talk right now with Apollo Dez, part of Apollo Media out in H-Town, talking some Houston Astros. And when it comes to the Astros, one of the big things that I've noticed has been the bullpen and almost an ineptitude, and that's been going on for a while. This goes back to – the A.J. Hinch era as well. I mean, this is something that I've noticed for a while, but it continues to be an issue, especially when we talk about that San Diego Padres series where the bullpen allowed like seven runs in the 11th or 12th inning of that game where it felt like the Astros had every chance to win that game but wound up being dead to rights because of your bullpen in Friday and Saturday's game. Thankfully, they've been able to like right the ship a little bit, but which of the guys in the bullpen do you think is the biggest issue and who could wind up replacing him or or is anybody or are they even considering making a trade to try and fill up that hole in the bullpen yeah i, I think that there's uh and i've been trying to um let you know everyone on astros twitter and the houston uh space that you know i, I think james click is uh atoning for the jeff luna sins of a of a payroll that's very very uh bloated right now and they're up against the luxury tax and i mean they had to you know do magic to get the odorizzi deal done uh when we thought framber was out for the year but i i think the saving grace is this and you're essentially about to acquire two arms uh in the bullpen and that's luis garcia and that is already christian javier the two guys that are stables in the rotation could be stable in the rotation for any team in the league um, but with so much depth that we have, they're moving them to the pin, and um, arguably they should probably be in the rotation. But there's just there's just they, there's a bunch of dudes right now that are that are very very good in that rotation. So um, essentially, you're acquiring two arms and two really really good arms, and that should help the bullpen out. Whether they piggyback starts, uh, we saw that with Framber and Christian Javier. Uh, we also saw that with Odorizzi and Javier the other night uh, against Boston, but. Um, there, there's a way you can get creative with that, or they're your bridge guys and long guys, and that that you know takes away from people pitching in the bullpen that maybe shouldn't be pitching in the bullpen in these leverage situations. So I think they'll be able to get creative with that, with you know, uh, Creedy back and Order Rizzi back, and then Lance McCullers hopefully will be back soon in the next week or so. But um, I just don't see the Astros making a trade. It'd be crazy if they did because I just think they're up against that luxury tax. Um, but I, I know the fan base is clamoring. I know we're talking about it. I, I know James Click and uh, Crane are hearing it. So, I don't know. Maybe they shock us and go get a, an arm or two in the, for the backside of the bullpen. Apollo, you know, obviously we can talk about the, the pitching staff and the bullpen, but I think the starting pitching has started to turn things around at least a little bit. Case in point, Zach Greinke, a complete game last night. I was definitely impressed by that statement in and of itself with him looking pretty darn good, only allowed one run, three strikeouts. The strikeouts could use a little bump up, especially the fact he pitched nine innings, but still was able to twirl a really good outing. 
and help the Astros secure a win that was aided a lot by the offense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think Brian McTaggart tweeted last night that the Astros are, are 10 and 3 in Grinky starts this season. I mean, that's a third of the wins, right? Um, I, I, it, it's not the Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, you know, seven, eight innings, multi, you know, 12, 13 strikeouts, and, you know, they're throwing 100 miles an hour. Grinky's just finessing teams, and he's doing what he's done, and it's working. Um, it's hard to say that, you know, he's throwing 87 to 88, and yet he's still piling wins. And obviously it helps when your offense puts up that that many runs, but just give him two, and he'll find a way to win a game right now. And uh, the other guys as well, having Framber Valdez back, he's, he's pitched his tail off. Uh, your Creedy's pitched his tail off. Uh, Luis Garcia and Javier have as well. And so um, with Lance McCullers coming back as well, I, I am – I'm so bullish on our pitching staff. Um, they've logged a lot of innings. They've, they've logged a lot of October innings, too. It's, the moment's never going to be too big for these guys. And so as long as this offense keeps doing what they're doing and the staff does, uh, you can get away, hopefully, with the bullpen, um, you know, spinning their tires a bit. Exactly. You know, and, uh, you know, one of the things that I just took away from that's from last night's game, obviously the offense was on fire. Case in point, you had Carlos Correa get a couple home runs. Martin Mondonado, obviously, we talked about him a lot. He got a couple, he got a dinger in there. It's a, just nothing short of impressive how much this team, even without George Springer, because he was definitely a big catalyst for this team to have kind of a gorilla ball style. But we're starting to see that pop up more and more with Correa, Maldonado, obviously Maldonado, Braggs from time to time. Even Altuve, who's taken over largely in that leadoff slot, he started to kind of knock the cover off the ball a little bit too. Yeah, it almost seems like ever since that last New York game, Jose Altuve can't get out. And um, it's it's great to see because when Jose Altuve's on, you know, he's obviously one of the top hitters in the history of the game. And so um, I, I was I was talking with some people, and I, and I was like, I hate saying this, but it, it really feels like the Astros have really played maybe their B, B-minus game if I had to grade their season out, and yet they're still winning. And that's the scary thing because when they get hot, they haven't really had that streak where they get – really stupid hot and uh, we know it's coming because it, it always happens but it, it, it's scary how good this team is right now it can be because you have um Brantley who's not even in the lineup you have Jordan who's struggling you have you have all you have Miles Straw who hasn't really pieced together you have Chase McCormick getting a lot of that bat so um when this team kind of comes together it's going to be really special to see and hopefully it's I would hope they just wait till the later into the season, that's when they get hot, and then we just take over October. But, um, Clint, i got to ask you, did you get your lotto ticket? Because when Molinano hits a grand slam, I think everyone in the country needs to go get a, a Power 5 ticket because that is truly a, a sight to see. Oh, no, I, I agree with you. That's why, like, last weekend, last Friday, I was trying to get in touch with Cody Stutes to give me the lotto numbers because he kind of predicted that leadoff home run on Friday night. I was like, all right, dude, what are the lotto numbers? I need to get in on this action. Yeah. It was uh, it was great to see him. It might have been the orange hair he just he just changed to, but um, like you said, that the gorilla ball and the guys jumping on fastballs and, and um, just executing. Really, I mean, I, I think we've seen it with this offense getting the guy over, get him in uh, works, but also, hey, you know, there's some ducks on the pond. Let's let's swing for the fence a bit too, and um, they're, they're doing it and they're doing it great. Obviously, um, offense. Good pitching beats good offense in October, so um, hopefully the guys just keep doing what they're doing, and when they get in a in a tough little 
dogfight, they can uh, scrap runs as well. One more for you. I, we got to talk about Carlos Correa because, again, he had two home runs last night, probably the big player of the game for the Astros. I, obviously, right now, he, his batting average is about 277, but just in terms of what he's been able to do all around, he's starting to really make a statement, hey, do you really want to let me go? Like, it just feels like it, we're continuing to have this conversation. And if we see Carlos Correa continue to do the things that he's been doing as of late, I feel like the Astros might just have to fork over a bit of money to get him to stick around. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Carlos Correa is, is a um, foundation piece, a staple piece. He was your, your first overall pick. Um, he, he's, he is your guy. He is your shortstop. Carlos Correa's don't grow on trees. Um, they're, they're super rare talents. And I think his swing right now is backing it up. When, when Carlos Correa is on, and everyone listening now, you can, you will be able to see it. When he's driving the ball to that right center gap and he's hitting home runs into that right center power alley, Carlos Correa is on and he's, and he's locked in. And we're starting to see that. And I think he's going to have a big month. I think, um, as we go into, July and the All-Star break, we're going to see Carlos Correa really turn it on a bit because I think his swing is just it, it's absolutely locked in. And it, it shows because he's not pulling off the ball, you know, the little things in baseball that makes everything so hard. But when he's, when he's hitting the ball the other way in that in that right uh, right center power alley and uh, and there's some ump behind it, that means his swing's locked in. And I, I definitely think he's locked in at the play, obviously, last night with the two bombs. Um, he's having fun out there. And I think uh, the stress of a contract situation is, is, is tough. Uh, I mean, you're you know twenty mid twenties. You're you're about to get more life changing money, generational uh, type money, and um, it's a it's a tough thing. It's a business at the end of the day. So I think Carlos Correa is really building out his resume essentially and, and padding those stats. And um, I'm just as a fan trying to enjoy every single moment uh, of of watching Carlos Correa play baseball in the Astros uniform. Because I don't know, it may be it may be his last year here. I hopefully I'm wrong, um, but like you said, maybe he he shows the Astros, hey, look, you had this guy already. You can't grow him on trees. Let's let's uh, lock this guy up. Exactly, and, and you know, once again, appreciate you coming on, Apollo. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of the weekend, man. Yeah, you too, bro. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate him coming on. And we were talking about the Astros and the White Sox series. Make sure you enter in today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com for a chance to win four. Astros tickets to go see the Astros take on the White Sox on Saturday, the June I believe, 19th. I'm going to go ahead and pull up my calendar because I don't have the library like right in front of me. But, yeah, June 19th, two weeks from now, Father's Day weekend, you can see the Astros take on the Chicago White Sox at Minute Maid. Thanks to us here at 103.7 The Game, the Astros Weekend Getaway, brought to you by J&J Exterminating, Butcher Air Conditioning, and 103.7 The Game, Acadiana Sports Station. You'll get four tickets and a $200 Visa gift card for swag, for food, all that stuff. Trust me, you don't want to miss out on that. We'll take a quick timeout, wrap up the show, one final take, and I'll be more on the football side of things. Talked a lot of baseball today. We'll get to some football to wrap the show in a nice little bow. Back after this on 103.7 The Game. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. This is certainly going to be a take that I will not 
want to take back six months down the road or a year down the road or 10 years down the road. But it's something close to my heart. I've talked about it before. I am a huge proponent for spring football in terms of like professional or semi-professional leagues, depending on your perspective. Stuff like the AAF, the XFL, that is fantastic stuff for me. As a fan of football, as a degenerate, this is the stuff that I live for. And the fact we're going to have potentially, and the keyword is potentially, I haven't seen anything of the sort with the XFL potentially not playing in 2022. and could get merged in with the CFL, which would be amazing thing to think about just in general. But I think the more spring football we get, the better we all are for it. The fact we you get the USFL returning, it's official. Like that came out of like complete left field. The USFL is back, Duck Flutie being a part of it. You have that. You have potentially the XFL coming back or a merger of them and the CFL. That in and of itself is just badass. Like everything about it just is so for me. It may not be the thing you love, but it's something that I'm like, I'm craving here inside the first South Farm Credit Studios. Because, yes, football is a year-round sport when it comes to capturing the headlines. Like, I can tell you a handful of times during, like, college baseball season this year where we've talked about more along the lines of Drew Brees and his career, the Saints' offseason, the NFL draft, the cap space situation, the cap hell they were in. Let's be honest with each other. Football draws the headlines. But at the end of the day, we know there's other things that are going to wind up giving us a lot more interest and stuff that we love just a, just a little bit more. But I'm about to get out of here. So hope you have a great rest of your Saturday. I'll be back with you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until next Saturday, be excellent to each other. Talk to you down the road. Back after this next Saturday. Oh yeah!